Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. In your Bibles, I do want to remind you there will be, there is a sign-up sheet in the foyer uh, as we look forward to the month of April and coming back together um, in, in the Sunday morning service, it'll be combined. No longer will we have a 9 a.m. It'll be now moved to 1030. And, uh, but we do want to make some, uh, some seating available where there will be some social distancing. Um, so what we are asking is you write your name down. We're not going to, we're not going to draw attention to you in that sense. We don't want to embarrass anybody, but we do want you to be comfortable, feel comfortable, and we do want you to feel safe as well. So if you sign up, that'll give us a head count um, of how many people would like that. And uh, I'm, I'm going to ask, are we talking to Phil Pritchard? And he'll probably, as the head usher, will probably have it on a clipboard in the next couple of weeks. And if he approaches you and asks you, would you like to sign up for this? Please do, if you're inclined to. And what we'll do is that, that'll help us to know exactly how much space in the auditorium uh, to, uh, to make sure we have plenty of seating for every, anybody who wants that. Okay, so please uh, take advantage of that as we uh, look to come come back together. It'll be a joyous thing to be together, but at the same time, we don't want any kind of an outbreak or anybody. We don't want sickness. That's not what we're want, what we're going for. So, uh, so please be, uh, please be thinking about that, praying about it, and don't forget to sign up if uh, you're approached with that clipboard. I want to ask you a question here as we look at the passage today in First Peter chapter 2. Um, my question is, do you love God's word? How would you answer that? I, I'm speaking to some this morning who've been saved for a long time. Um, some of you have probably been saved for 40 or 50 years, maybe even more than that. Um, how would you describe your love for the word of God? Do you love it? Uh, do, you, do you have a hunger for it? Uh, do you enjoy hearing it? Do you enjoy reading it? Now, again, I say something like reading. Some of us are avid readers. Others of us, we read because we have to. Um, but do you enjoy hearing the word of God? Um, one of the things I'm looking forward to about the summer months is mowing the grass. Now, not because I get to mow the grass, but one thing I've been able to do is I have uh, the, the Bible on my phone and there's an app where it will, the phone will actually read the Bible to me. And, uh, and I enjoy reading the Bible, but I also enjoy hearing it read to me. Um, one thing as a pastor I actually miss is being able to sit under and hear preaching. I've always enjoyed hearing preaching. And, um, but during the summer months, it takes me about an hour and 20 minutes to mow the grass that we have. And so I have some ear protection and it hooks up to my phone. And I'll push play, and for an hour and 20 minutes, it'll just read through uh, different books of the Bible, and I can just hear it being read to me. Um, there have been more than one occasion, and uh, the mower I ride or, or drive has a couple of handles like this, so it requires two hands. And there have been more than a couple of occasions while I'm mowing the lawn where I have to stop in the middle of mowing and wipe some tears away because the Word of God is finding good ground in my heart. And, uh, you know, though I was brought up in church, I can't say that I always loved the Bible. Uh, I endured some sermons, I think, of a few of them along the way. There were times where mom and dad would gather us up for family devotions in the evening or they would re 
asked that we they would lead us as children to memorize portions of Scripture. And how many of you think that I was always really excited about family devotions or uh, having to stop watching a show or stop reading a book or doing some come in from playing basketball to have family? Devo- how many of you think I was always excited about that? Uh, no, I wasn't always excited about that. But over the years, I have grown to love the Word of God, and many of you have as well. And so I ask these questions, do you seek for opportunities to hear it? Um, do, you, do you look for opportunities to learn it and be exposed to it? You see, genuine godliness, and we're going to see this in our text, and we see it really throughout the Word of God, but genuine godliness is always marked by a love for the word of God. God's people love his word. God's people love his word. And someone who has no desire for God's word, the Bible says, is not of God. It's possible, it's possible uh, for a person to be a, a, a even a church member, a member of a church, or Uh, to go to a church, but not be a child of God. It's possible for a person to be in a church or the children of saved parents, but they themselves not be saved. In John chapter 8 and verse 43, Jesus spoke to some Pharisees. They were religious men, but they were not saved. And he he asked them this question. He said, why do ye not understand my speech? Why, Why aren't you understanding what I'm telling you? Jesus asked them. And then he says, even because ye cannot hear my word. Wasn't that amazing? They, 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 they looked at Jesus in the eyes. They, they could physically hear the audible words that Jesus was speaking, but they could not understand them. They could not comprehend them. That, some, that happens sometimes during a sermon where a person will come and they gather with the church, with the assembly, and the word of God is preached, and the word of God finds good ground in in a believer's heart, but the unsaved man sitting in that same congregation cannot understand the word of God that is being preached. The children of God do hear. We do understand God's words, but the unsaved do not. Again, in John chapter 8, verse 47, Jesus goes on to say, He that is of God Heareth God's words, ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. That's something I think that each one of us ought to ponder and ought to consider. Uh, there were there were times in my life as a young man where I would sit under the preaching of God's word, and yet it made no sense to me at all. I could not comprehend it. It was like another language was being spoken. There were times as a young man where God's word, I, I, if, if my dad read it, it, it meant nothing to me. Um, and Jesus says, one of the reasons why people do not understand the word of God is because they are not the children of God. It's a very, very serious matter. So a mark of genuine, um, the mark of a genuine believer is that they have this deep abiding love. They have this deep respect for the word of God. In Job chapter 23 and verse 12, Job said this. He said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth, of God's mouth, more than my necessary food. What an amazing statement. He esteemed the words of God to be more important than his necessary food, more than life itself. 
God says that his word should be more desired than extreme wealth. He says it's more valuable. The words of God are more valuable than extreme wealth or the rarest of delicacies. He says in Psalm 19 in verse 9, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Psalm 40 in verse 8 expresses the heart's cry of the godly. It says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. In Psalm 119, there are 176 verses that express the desire that God's people ought to have for his word. And in verse 97, David declares, Oh, my, oh, how love I thy law, he says. It is my meditation all the day. I think about these men and women of God throughout history who loved God, who knew God as their personal saviors, their savior, and they loved his word. Now, this love and craving for God's word is exactly what Peter is writing about in our text. Look at first Peter chapter two and verse one. He says this in verse one of chapter two, he says, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Let's pray together and we'll look at these verses in the time that we have. We're going to see that God wants us, he gives us some motivations. What are some reasons why or motivations that should cause me to desire God's word? And um, I think there'll be an encouragement to you. They'll be convicting to us. Let's pray together. Father, teach us, I pray, by your word. Uh, We have gathered together because we do love you, because you love us. And you've shown that love to us repeatedly throughout our lives. Father, we need your word. Help us to see that we need it. Grow our love for it, I pray. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's of interest to me that the Holy Spirit instructs these suffering believers. And of course, we know these believers were suffering. They're being persecuted. He, He instructs these suffering believers to desire the word. Do you see it there again? Look at verse number two. He says, as newborn babes... And now here comes the emphatic command, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby or that you will grow. He's talking to believers and he he gives them this analogy, this illustration. We'll talk about it and develop it further this morning. But he says to them, "You, you know what a newborn baby is like, right? What do they want? They do they want uh, do they want lollipops? no. They want uh, Big Macs? No. Um, that little newborn infant, not long after being born, what does it want? It wants that milk from his mother. And it needs for his own protection and for his own health. He needs that milk from his mother. He will die without it. He desperately needs it. And, and, and Peter gives this analogy, really the Spirit of God gives us this analogy as newborn babes. And then he, you see the comma, and now he talks to the believers and he says, you desire the sincere milk of the word. Now he could have, so he, he tells them, desire the sincere milk of the word. He could have said, 
read it like he did to Timothy. Or he could have said, study it like he did to Timothy. Or he could have said, meditate on it like the psalmist wrote about or Joshua or Paul did to the church at Philippi. He could have said to teach the word. He could have said to preach the word. He could have told these believers to search out the scriptures or to hide God's word in their hearts. But in this particular passage to these suffering believers who are on the verge of losing hope altogether, he doesn't say any of those things. He says, desire fervently, passionately, crave the sincere milk of the word so that you will grow. You know, it really is impossible. All of those other things that I just named, reading and studying and preaching and teaching and meditating on and obeying the word, those are all uh, crucial, aren't, aren't they? They're critical to a Christian's life. But I dare say that a man or a woman, a believer who does not desire the word of God, will not obey it. They will not read it. They will not meditate on it. They will not learn it. They will not set time aside for it. He's so desiring the sincere milk of the word. And so the spirit of God, as he's talking to these very, um, these hurting believers, these suffering saints, he goes right back to the beginning and he encourages them, desire it. Before anything else is going to happen, you have to desire it. Before anybody's going to do any of these things, you have to desire it. You have to have this growing desire, this passion for it. So everything else flows out of this passionate desire and longing for God's word. I want to look at these motivations for desiring God's word this morning. And I notice, first of all, motivation number one, that we need to remember the source of our salvation. We need to remember what's going to motivate us to take time for God's word. And and I notice, first of all, he He reminds us of the source of our salvation. Look at verse one, and we're just going to look at one one word. He says, wherefore. Now, in verse one of chapter two, he's going to tell us to lay aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and all speaking. So he's I'll summarize all that to say this. He's going to say he's about to say lay apart or cast off known sin in your life. In verse two, he's going to say desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. He's about to say, um, he's about to tell them you need to cast off any known sin in your life and you need to desire the word of God. But he says, wherefore? Wherefore? Whenever we see a wherefore, we always should look before to find out what for. Why should I lay apart sin? Why should I, why should you desire the sincere milk of the word of God. And the answer comes before. Look in verse 25. We see in verse 25, he says, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. Why should I desire the word of God? Well, when we look before, we see we're reminded that it is eternal. It's eternal. Uh, We live in a day where uh, things are falling apart. That's been the case in this world to some degree all throughout its existence since the fall of Adam and Eve. A, a sinful place, a wicked place, wicked people, wicked flesh. These people in first, in who Peter was writing to, they would have looked at their world and said things are falling apart. Things are not right. There's a lot of injustice in this world. 
relationships falling apart, careers, homes and lands being taken away. And so it's a great encouragement to us, a great reminder to us that there is something that is steadfast and unmovable, unchangeable. It's reliable. It's the word of God. It's eternal. Look back to verse number 23. He says this, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And the simple truth is this in that verse. It was by the eternal word of God that we were born again. If it hadn't been for the word of God, I would never have known my sinfulness. I would have never known God's love. I never would have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and I would be going to hell for all of eternity. Now I can look back and my parents taught me that God loved me. But where did they know that from? The word of God. My parents taught me that I was a sinner. And what was the standard by which they judged me? The word of God. So if it hadn't been for the word of God, and that's what Peter is reminding them of back in verse number 23. And then look back to verse number 22. He says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. He's he's talking about here this purifying of their souls in obeying the truth. You see, we've already begun to experience God's saving power by the wonderful word of God. And that's what he's saying. You've already begun to experience this. You've already begun to experience, you know that God's word is eternal. You know that God's word gives eternal life and it can take sins away by the truth that is contained within its pages. You know that God is powerful, not only for salvation from death and hell, but now also for sanctification to to cleanse us from sin, to set us apart. It's the Bible which gave us new life and it's the Bible that sustains life and enriches life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul wrote this to those believers. He said this, he said, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And then listen to this, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Not only did God's word save us from death and hell by the truth of Christ, which we believe that we received by faith that led to our salvation, but the word of God, since we believe for the saving of our souls, continues to purge us and cleanse us, right? Convict us. The word of God is still doing this work. And all that God's word was able to accomplish in us in order to save us it is also able to accomplish in us in order to sanctify us. The word of God produces faith. It produces knowledge. It produces wisdom and encouragement and comfort and guidance and protection and righteousness and uh, fruit. It produces fruit, profitability. You see, Paul's, or Peter's point is that the power of the word of God is still available. Remember the source of your salvation and get back into the word of God. There was a time in our lives where we cared nothing for the word of God. We didn't care if it was preached or taught. (laughs) We had better things to do. Um, We didn't care if we had a copy of it in our in our homes. And many of us have many copies of it. Our Bible sat there and collected dust. We never read them. 
We look at our phones. There are so many things, so many places we can go on our phones, right? Uh, the NCAA tournament's about to start, and many of us will enjoy March Madness and college basketball. I enjoy basketball. I enjoy March Madness. Um, I enjoy watching the teams and seeing how they're doing. But ultimately, um, is the word of God more important to me or is March Madness? Or researching a certain product that I want to buy or a certain job I want to accomplish in the home. You see, what is most valuable to me? And Peter is writing to these believers who are suffering and he's saying, you still need the word of God. Desire it. Long for it. Crave it. And, uh, and, and learn it. And, and one of the motivations is remembering that it is the word of God, by the word of God, that we were saved. I also notice another motivation in verse number one, the middle part. And that is put off all known sin. Motivation number two, why should I desire or what will help me desire the word of God? And that is this, put off all known sin. The question would be to to us this morning, do we know of any sin, unconfessed sin in our lives? Is there anything in our lives that we know is not right? And we're kind of going along, looking the other way, pretending like it's not that big of a deal. Look at verse one. The middle part, he says this, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Now, he's going to go on to say desire the sincere milk of the word. But there's something that will keep us from desiring the milk of the word. And that is sin. Sin will actually, um, the desire for these other things, the desire of sinful things will actually keep us from desiring the word of God. Now, many of us have experienced the truths that I am preaching to, to you this morning. When I was a teenager in Trinity Baptist Church's youth group, Pastor Scott was my youth pastor And he would often say, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And I remember in one of the Bibles that uh, he and Pastor Saunders gave to me, uh, one of them wrote that in the front of the Bible. This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Now, that's a true statement. And it's true in the sense that Scripture here in chapter 2 of 1 Peter bears it out. The Holy Spirit gives these suffering saints a command, and it's an imperative. You see it in verse verse 1. He says, laying aside, laying aside. Now, that's a command. To cast, It means to cast off or to put away or to put off, to lay down sin that we are allowing into our lives. Why? Why should we lay aside sin? Why should we not continue in that sin? Well, as long as we desire evil, we will not desire the word of God. That is the truth. Sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. You you and I, we're not able to desire both of them. If I give in to sin, it means I cannot follow the word of God. And if I follow the word of God, it means that I cannot follow sin. He talks about malice. You see the, these words there, five of them, all guile, hypocrisies, envies, and all evil speakings. You see, our, when our desires are polluted, 
we, we rob ourselves of that singular desire of hungering for the pure word of God. And we miss out on all kinds of eternal blessings. Laying aside, he says, it has the idea of stripping off uh, clothing that's been defiled. I can remember coming into the house after playing outside and uh, mom saying, no, 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 <laughs> you're not coming in here like that. You know, I had to get cleaned up before I could enter into the inner sanctum of the house that was clean. I wasn't coming in like that. Um, some of us try to tromp through the house with our boots on. And this time of year, if you go outside, your children come back in the house with their shoes on. It's mud and dirt everywhere, right? Uh, and some of us as God's people, God's children are like that. Now, we don't see ourselves that way. We don't look at one another that way. But but are we allowing sin to have residence in our lives? Uh, Peter is saying to these dear believers, strip off those filthy things that are in your lives. Those lusts, those longings and passions and appetites, those cravings that are wrong. And he's really telling them these intense passions, these desires that you have for sinful things are wrong and they're going to injure you. They're going to hurt you. Now, it's interesting that Peter talks to these believers this way because I think in their, in their state of, of life, being persecuted by people from without, people robbing them of their possessions, people persecuting them because they're Christians, I would, have, I would think that those believers would have thought the danger that we have to fear, the dangers are from without. The dangers are these people. It's their agenda against us. Right. That would have been the greatest fear to these believers. And yet Peter, by the Holy Spirit, is telling them, you need to desire things that are right. You need to desire the best things, but you're desiring things that are wrong. Now, the analogy here again is given of an infant, a, new, a newborn baby. Can you remember when your children were, were just young and they were starting to eat um, no longer the mother's milk, but they're now eating uh, food. I would call it real food, but it's not at all real food. It's like rice. You put it in the microwave and get a little warm, you know, but not too hot. And then um, squash, you know, and you do the whole, you know, and you're right. You remember that. And then they, they put it, you put it in their mouth and then they blow, they kind of blow and it goes all over your face. Do you remember that? Um, but, uh, I can remember giving the children those foods early on, those different foods, some, most of the time watching Cindy do it. And, uh, and it would go into their mouth. And for the first time, I always loved watching it for the first time because they would make these the funniest faces. And it was not at all. It was new to them. They did not have uh, an appetite for it. Um, some of us have enjoyed, maybe you as grandparents have enjoyed giving your grandchildren something for the first time. Maybe that's sour or, or something like that. And they make this face. They have no appetite for it. And an infant, an infant has no appetite for any of those things, right? An infant has no appetite for any of those things. He doesn't want lollipops or ice cream. He doesn't even want Snickers candy bars. Wow, he's missing out on so much. Why? Because their appetite is singular. Their appetite is for their mother's milk. But as our children got older, right, 
their appetites changed, didn't they? Uh, their appetite expanded, and they often developed appetites for every kind of sugary, unhealthy uh, food there is, right? Can we stop at McDonald's? Because we all know that's made with organic, uh, healthy stuff, right? We're not even sure it is food, but we keep going back because we've developed an appetite for it. Um, but so we, our children today, they enjoy all kinds of destructive food. And perhaps your mother told you, like my mother told me, stop eating that or you're going to ruin your dinner. And we, and many of us did ruin our dinners, right? And the simple point is this, many of us are ruining our spiritual dinners because we're already filling ourselves with wrong things. That's, that's the simple truth that Peter's driving at. These things are unhealthy, they're destructive, they're debilitating. They crowd out the God-given appetite for his word, and it's extremely dangerous to God's people. And Peter names five things. He, he, he talks about all malice, which is, is a basic, it's a pretty generic word or general word for all evil. When he talks about all malice, he's talking about trouble or evil we need to say to uh, we each need to say no to our our evil flesh we need to confess our sin and put it off we need to stop doing that he says all guile guile has the idea of being deceptive it has the idea of to a decoy or to bait like fishing you there's nothing more deceptive than a hook uh, with a little happy worm not so happy probably they're on the hook. It's very deceptive to the fish. And this word guile has this idea of treachery and seduction. He talks about hypocrisies, which is acting under a feigned part, something that's not real, it's fake, it's phony, it's not genuine. He talks about envies, and of course we talked about that last week, desiring what someone else has for ourselves, so much so that we're willing to take it away. It leads to grudges and bitterness and hatred and conflict. He talks about all evil speakings. He's talking about backbiting, defamation, talking about someone behind their back in a way that does not honor them or lift them up or exalt them, to speak unkindly or to be malicious in words. And if this describes the pattern of some of our lives, and apparently it did describe the pattern of some of these believers' lives, then the word of God and our desire for his word will be choked. You see, sin will keep us from this book, or this book will keep us from sin. And it is sad to watch, and sometimes it happens just as uh, a person who is unhealthy physically, right? We desire more and more of that which is unhealthy. Um, recently, I had to get a photo taken over at Flint Township Police Department, and I had to put on the dress uniform again to have the photo taken, the same dress uniform that they gave me about one year ago that fit me perfectly then. And when I put on that dress uniform made out of cotton without any elasticity at all, I had to work to get it buttoned. And it was uncomfortable. I much prefer the the expandable pants that they that we use on a daily basis, um, the stretchy ones. And 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 you know what? Um, uh, one of the members of Trinity said to Dan earlier last year, 
uh, in late in 2020, he said, it's so nice to see pastor um, filling out a little bit. <laughs> Thank you. But you know what? It's those things, right? It's I, I want I want ice cream at 930 p.m. after the kids are in bed. And Tori will tell me, Dad, I can't wait until I'm an adult like you. And I said, why is that? She said, because then I can eat ice cream and stay up with mom. <laughs> right. There's nothing that's in it that's helping me. Um, and some of us, I'm afraid, have ruined our appetites for the word of God. Which would cleanse, which would purify, which would convict, which would strengthen us and nourish us, which would comfort us and console us. And we're we're full of other things. And Peter's saying you need to you need to remember the source of your salvation. You need to put off all known sin. Thirdly, you need to acknowledge a desperate need for God's word. If I'm going to desire it. I have to acknowledge that I need it. Does that make sense? That's pretty simple. Um, what's my motivation for desiring God's word? Well, I think an unsaved man looks at this and he says, I have no need for this. I have no need for these stories, he would call them. He doesn't believe they're true. And he would say, I have no need for them. And that's why he is not here with us this morning. He has no need for it. it sleep for him is more important than the word of God or some entertainment is more important than the word of God. Um, A movie is more important than the word of God. Everything else, everything else is more important than the word of God. But if I'm going to desire it as the spirit of God is telling us, we ought to desire it. What one thing that will motivate me to desire it is if I will acknowledge that I desperately need it. Look at verse number two, the beginning part. Notice this this analogy again. He says, as newborn babes. Now, that's all we're going to look at here for just a moment. He's giving this analogy, literally a newborn baby. That's the Greek word talking about an infant, a newborn baby. And I want us to consider this analogy the Holy Spirit chooses to give. It's the natural God-given instinct of a baby to move to his mother's breast for nourishment. That is the instinct that God has given to every infant. Uh, They don't have to be told. They don't have to be taught. That is the natural inclination. They're hungry and and they they seem to know where to go. Um, And God has prepared the milk, right, for that infant. And, And this is the only desire the infant has. It has no other desires. It's not, it doesn't care about cars. What the latest, the other day, someone pointed to me and said, or pointed at this vehicle said, that's the new Corvette. Well, I hadn't seen it. It looks like it came from Italy. It's a phenomenal looking vehicle. Well, uh, a baby, an infant cares nothing about the new Corvette. Now, you and I could talk to one another and you could tell me how many horsepower it has in zero to 60 and what colors it comes in and the tires, the low profile and how wide they are and how it can grip the road and the amount of power it has. And it's just incredible. We could talk about that. You and I would be enamored and wowed by that. But you know what? An infant couldn't care less. They couldn't care less because it just has this one singular desire. We could talk about sports. You and I could talk about sports at nauseum. We could talk about gardening. We could talk about what kind of lawnmowers we have or 
how to fix or repair something or how to, uh, we can talk about all kinds. A baby doesn't care about any of those things. It just wants his mother's milk. And this God-given instinct, this craving is necessary for that infant for two reasons. One is for nourishment and the other is for protection. The mother's milk nourishes the child and the antibodies from her milk protect the child from disease. The milk protects the child from malnutrition. And in this analogy, we see that we desperately need the milk of the word for nourishment and protection. And that's the point. The Spirit of God is speaking to these believers who are suffering, frankly, probably distracted by everything else that's going on. Hey, did you hear about this? Did you hear what happened to the family across town? Yes, they came and they took him or they took his business away or, or the, the, that family was, was put to death or whatever. They would have been distracted by so many other very real life situations, not small things, not trite things. And even those real life, desperate situations, the Holy Spirit of God is telling these believers, you need to desire the sincere milk of the word like the baby desires the, the, the sincere milk of his mother's breast. You absolutely need it. It's the most important thing. You see this? This is so important. Do we recognize that we need more of God's word? Maybe you've run across or maybe it's been your attitude. Maybe it's in my, in my past and there have been times where it's been my attitude where I already heard that. That is a tremendously sad and arrogant attitude. What I have learned in my study of the word of God is that I do not know it completely. And there are many questions that I seek the answers to from God's word. And God continues to give me those answers. And I continue to learn more about him. And I learn more about me. And I learn more about this world. But he shows himself faithful again and again and again. I, the more I learn from God's word, the more I find that I need to know more. I need more of it. I need more of it. The baby does not go to his mother's breast and feed one time and be nourished and never go back. He goes back again and again and again and again. He desperately, desperately needs the milk from his mother. Do we recognize that we need more of God's word? God's word guides us in discerning truth from error. It protects us from Satan's many snares and temptations. It enables us to obey and please God. It helps us to grow into maturity and be useful to God. It's a pretty sad picture to come across people who think that they know it and it's not that important. Everything else is more important. I desperately need more of God's word. So acknowledge a desperate need for it. Fourthly, notice in verse two, the middle part, that we're to desire personal growth. Now, this is a motivation for desiring God's word. If we want to grow if we want to mature, if we want to be strong as a believer, then desire it. Desire the word of God because the word of God will make us strong. Look at verse two, the middle part. He says, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Just yesterday, we were at the dinner table. Cindy made some chili. It was excellent. And we're all eating it. You know, other children are asking for seconds and thirds. And one of my children, who will remain unnamed, sat there looking at it. And, uh, you know, our dads taught us 
as children, we probably grew up hearing these sort of things. Eat that. It will put hair on your chest, you know, or or uh, eat that if you want to if you want to be big and strong, you know, things like that. And so I tried the whole you need to eat that if you want to grow up to be big and strong, you know, and, and he's looking at it, you know, with this terrible look on his face of disgust. Um, well, he'd probably rather go off and have a cupcake. Or he'd rather go off and have some ice cream. But really, what he really needs is some nutrition, right? And we understand that as adults, as parents. And if I want to be strong, then I need to desire the word of God. Do we desire to be strong? Do we desire to be healthy? Paul understood that he still had growing to do, even the apostle Paul. And, and he wanted it. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. I haven't attained, Paul says. I haven't arrived. I'm not all that I should be, but I want God. He chose me. He saved me for a purpose. And I want him to have all of me to accomplish all of what he wants to accomplish through me. And that was Paul's attitude. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, the Bible says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You've heard the saying, you are what you eat. So milkshakes. I told somebody the other day that I made myself a protein shake. And it consisted of vanilla and then some sort of a fruit mix. And they said, protein? Question mark. Where? Where's the protein in that? I said, you know, milk, I think, is in the, uh, you know, is in the vanilla ice cream, I think, you know. Not a very healthy thing. Well, you get those results. You are what you eat. Feasting on God's word. What does it result in? Desiring the word of God, hungering it, receiving it. What does it result in? It results in spiritual understanding that prepares us to deal with the issues of life. It results in producing a greater love for God and a less of a love for this passing world. It strengthens our faith in God, which allows us to stand confidently with hope and assurance when everything seems to be falling around us. It reminds us that God is in control. Uh, Hungering after God's word leads us to consistent obedience, which allows us to enjoy the protection and blessings that obedience brings. We need this. We need it. We desperately need it. There's one last truth and we'll be done. Uh, We're looking at these motivations for desiring the word of God, remembering the source of our salvation, putting off all known sin, acknowledging a desperate need for God's word, desiring personal growth, and finally giving thanks for all God's grace in our lives. Look at verse 3. He says, if so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? What is grace? Someone tell me. What is the grace of God? Right. God giving to us what we don't deserve. That's an excellent definition of it. So what? What is grace like or, or what was what was the grace that you and I experienced like? Well, when we experienced God's grace, what did we experience? We experienced his goodness. We experienced his kindness. 
We've experienced his answered prayers. We've experienced his protection, his guidance, his restoring hand on relationships. He's met our every need. He has consoled and comforted the deep cries of our hearts. He's turned sorrow into joy. He's brought comfort to our pain. We've experienced his mercies that are new every morning, right? Now, what I have not said is that he's taken away every hurt or every sorrow. I did not say that he... He's done everything that you and I wanted him to do when we wanted him to do it. I didn't say that. But we have experienced his grace in abundance. His great faithfulness. We've experienced with all of these spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. And and what Paul is simply saying is this. If you're going to desire the word of God, we have to acknowledge that God is good and that God has been gracious to us. Now think about who he's writing to here. He's writing to people who are suffering who, who, when we're suffering, we're, we're prone to not giving thanks for much. They could have said, well, God isn't protecting us. God didn't deliver our pastor. God didn't deliver the, our fellow members, that other family. They, they could have gone down this path, but, but Peter is reminding them that, the, that God has been gracious to them, and that he has given out so much to them. And and giving thanks to God for all of his grace that we've experienced will motivate us to strongly desire God's word. So to end, I'll end with an illustration. Simply, God wants us to eat. He wants us to eat the word of God. He wants us to feed on it. He wants us to take it in and digest it and benefit from its nutrition He wants antibodies to be built up to protect us as we go through this world. He wants faith to be built up inside of us that pleases God and leads us to obey him, which ultimately leads to eternal reward. The question is, do we passionately crave the word of God? Do we hunger for it? There's a disease, as it is called, called anorexia nervosa. And... Uh, Some women struggle with it. And basically, it's women who starve themselves, sometimes to their physical detriment, sometimes even to death, in an effort to be thin. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to describe the symptoms of anorexia nervosa. The symptoms include occasional binges or eating, where you just eat everything you possibly can, but then you go and you vomit or maybe take an enema to eliminate the food from your system. It includes, the symptoms include hyperactivity, where someone tries tries to exercise a lot to prove to herself that she's healthy. Depression is another symptom of anorexia nervosa. And depression, of course, is the inability to deal with issues of life. Social isolation is the final Symptom, And that's the fear of getting too close to somebody because they might find out their true, true condition. And you know, as we think about the symptoms of anorexia nervosa, it sounds an awful lot like the spiritual symptoms of somebody who will not eat the word of God. Let me 
let me bring it to us this way. Spiritual malnutrition is characterized by occasional binges where we'll seek the truth, maybe listen to multiple sermons or a, a podcast or we, we uh, attend everything for a while and we take it in, but then we generally eliminate it without the benefit of any application or any nourishment. Hyperactivity where a person will get very active, maybe in the church and for a period of time, they're active, they're there for everything and they're working very, very hard and very, very diligently trying to replace true spiritual growth or spiritual depression because there's no victory over sin in their lives. Spiritual isolation because of, of such a person flees intimate fellowship with other believers because getting too close to someone else might reveal that they're not perfect. And you know, the simple prescription that a doctor can write for somebody with anorexia nervosa is simply eat. Eat. Now, it's not that simple, but that is the prescription. You need some food. You need nutrition. Your body, your physical body desperately needs it. And the prescription for spiritual malnutrition is the same. Eat. Jesus Christ said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And Job understood that. And Paul understood that. And many of us understand it. This book is more important to us spiritually than physical food is to us physically. Now, all of us will go home this afternoon and we will eat. And we'll eat again later tonight. And uh, I'll try not to eat my milkshake later tonight. We'll eat breakfast in the morning tomorrow. We'll eat lunch again. We'll eat dinner. And we'll do that throughout the week very consistently. Why? Because physically we know we need it. There's this cra- these, these cravings if we don't. And I want you to know, God, your heavenly father, we, his children, God has made us as an infant needs the milk of his mother. He has made us and designed us to need the word of God. We desperately, desperately need it. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray this morning as we go from this place, I pray that our hearts would be drawn out to worship you and, Father, love you and look to your word. Lord, I pray this week that we would, whether it be the feature devotional, every day get into the word of God. For some of us, Lord, maybe memorize some scripture. Others, Lord, maybe reading a proverb a day. Um, Father, make taking time to gather with your people and sit under the preaching and teaching of your word. Just as an infant needs his mother's milk, so too do we need your word. We acknowledge that this morning. And Father, I pray that your word would make us healthy and strong. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.